the Lord Jesus. Thank you for your spirit. And tonight as we dive into the book of Daniel, this is a book I believe that Satan hates. He hates the entire Bible. But this book, along with its, its cousin book, Revelation, do a lot of damage to his kingdom. So may it be tonight that you establish your kingdom a little more and you do a work in our hearts and then through us to the world and community around us. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you were to, uh, to touch one of these outdoor heaters here, you'd be touching approximately 1800 degrees Fahrenheit. That's what a candle, the tip of a candle burns at 1800 degrees Fahrenheit. The hottest fire, the hottest a flame can get is 5,900 degrees, 5,900 degrees Fahrenheit. So a candle typically is about 1,800, but the hottest fire, 5,900. It only takes, it only takes about 115 degrees to burn our skin. So it's not a candle, a flame at 1,800 degrees is is well capable of, of burning skin. Now, I'm just thinking through the, our story tonight, our narrative. 2,700 years ago, in a place we know of as Iraq, this pagan king builds these kilns, determined to have a crowd illuminate a few dissenters. When three, when three would not bow down to his, the image that had been set up, he ordered the fires to be stirred some seven times hotter. No doubt the fuel for the fire, being where it was in the world, was oil. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. If a candle flame burns about 1,800 degrees and the hottest fire possible is 5,900 degrees, it's not possible to heat a flame seven times hotter. It's almost as if there's a cue that there's something more to this story than simple three don't bow down, pagan king becomes upset and wants to heat up the fires. Anyway, why would you heat up the fires hotter? It just, in my, my simple mind, if I want to punish somebody, the hotter the fire, the faster it burns. The slower the fire, the more they suffer. There's something more to this story. Daniel chapter 1 and 2 gives us this, this, this overview of the book. There's conflict, there's faithfulness, there's resolution, there's, there's some sort of glorification, exaltation at the end. Daniel chapter 3. You got your iPads, iPhones. Going to Daniel chapter 3. This Daniel chapter 3 is the most repetitious chapter in all of the prophetic writing. It, it just borrows this 
this use, this grammatical tool of repetition. Context, what's going on? <clears throat> the Babylonian Chronicle reports that there was a serious opposition sometime around just before Daniel chapter 3. So Nebuchadnezzar, a revolt in his kingdom. There's a political turmoil in the city. It's actually recorded that the king, Nebuchadnezzar, the revolt came so close that at one point it was hand-to-hand -hand combat in the throne room for his life. So you picture this. Here's this political turmoil. This unrest. We've always read it, and rightly so, that, well, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and, uh, well, he had an image in his dream, and so then he probably came up with this idea of setting up a statue and that everybody would worship. But that wasn't typical. The Assyrians and the Persians did not force their cap. Their, their captives to convert to their, their religion. They didn't force. That's partly what made them so successful in, in combining so many different religions. They didn't force their worship. Matter of fact, Assyrian kings each kind of chose their own preferred God as they came along. So Daniel chapter 3 begs the question that there must have been something more. Biblical historians believe that that's true. That there was a revolt. There was a political turmoil. And the suggestion came after he had to fight for his own life in his own courtroom, his own throne room. Hey, king, we've got an idea. We need to kind of bring everybody together. We need to unify everyone. We need to bring about a movement. Uh, 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 an empire-wide movement that would unify everything. There's this political unrest, this, this turmoil, this we need to do something. And that began this journey to Daniel chapter 3 and the construction in the plain of Dura, right? Dura meaning wall. So Babylon... Babylon had two walls. It was first kind of the downtown district and the inner city with the palaces and the temple. And, and then they expanded. Nebuchadnezzar expanded Babylon, several miles side of that wall. He then built the second wall. And that was kind of an area of development. It was under construction for, for many, many years. And there was a, an open area. He said, let's, let's do it between the two walls. Let's set something up here. And let's unify the people, the leaders. And that's why everybody was urged to come. This is a national crisis. We've just gone through political unrest, political turmoil. Let's get everybody together and, and come together. There's music. It's, music brings people together. It raises the spirit. It, 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 it brightens the mood. And that's why the invitation for the treasures, the satraps, the governors, the judges, the magistrates, and all other providential uh, officials, everybody had to come. This was an, an effort to, to bring people back together. I know you're already jumping ahead. 
political unrest, turmoil. And birthed out of that comes this idea to set up an image. All right, but hold the phone. Daniel chapter 3, verses 4 and verse 29. Use a line that kind of bookends this narrative. And it bookends this narrative, giving us this, affirming this idea that this story is for something more. Daniel chapter 3 and verse 4 uses the line, the people of any nation, any language, or every language. And then again in verse 29, bookending this idea that this narrative is for is much more than just a nice Sabbath story for the primary class. This points to a global context. This is a worldwide story. It's a prophecy for the globe. Daniel chapter 3 and verse 1. I told you, this, this chapter, more than any other chapter, uses the, the tool of repetition. It does, very much so. Daniel chapter 3 and verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide and set it on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. It's a tall, thin statue. I... I don't know if it, if it had its arms crossed like we, we picture Daniel 2. I don't know that the Daniel chapter 2 image had its arms crossed. But now I, I can't for the life of me uncross them. It's been painted that way too many times. I want to put his arms down here. Why not? But I can't. Keep getting crossed. So I don't know. I don't know, but we know that this was... Uh, relatively tall, thin. It wasn't a, a Buddha uh, image. It was tall and thin. And 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 he repeats this 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 line where it says he set it up, set it up, set it up, set it up. It's said in verse one, verse two, verse three, twice in verse three, verse five, verse seven. It's repeated over and over. This is set up. Repeated seven times, set up, set up. Why? Because, because thematically, Daniel chapter 2 says that there will be a God in heaven who sets up his kingdom. And so this is this is much more than just a king defying that image and making one of all gold. There is political turmoil, religious turmoil. I I shared this at our with our congregation there at camp just a month ago. Later that week, I got a call from from Loma Linda, California, physician in the area here who tuned in and said, "Hey, I, I, we need to we need to talk about this." We spent an hour on the phone talking about the, the, how the political turmoil can be a distraction. Everybody thinks this is, this is all about political turmoil. A distraction for even admin. We would say, no, no, this is, this is, this is about the, a nation in crisis. We need to come together. It's, it's not at all about the subject of, of Sabbath. It's, 
until it is. He said, we can't be distracted by the political turmoil. Do we need to be involved as citizens? Yes, but not distracted by it. This, this is not just fixing a political scene here. This is not just a pagan king making a statement against God. This, behind the scenes, there is a work that the political turmoil is just a facade. And there is a, a, a dark power seeking to set up something contrary the God of heaven is trying to set up. And he, that is Satan, is setting up something. Repeated over and over. I'm going to push back. I'm going to push back. I'm going to try to get my people setting up something. Three things. Three aspects of this global prophecy. Number one. It is about worship. Daniel chapter 3 and verse 6. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. That's repeated in verse 7, repeated in verse 10, repeated in verse 11. Whoever does not fall down and worship. The question is unequivocally so. It's about worship. Not not solely a day of worship. It's about worship. Number two. The second aspect is that it is, while it appears like it's some sort of political move, some sort of effort from uh, nothing more than a human king, there's much more to this story. Verse 12. But there are some Jews whom you have settled the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. And immediately is tied in this picture. It's not just about the image. It's about the gods. To an Assyrian king who doesn't require his captives to worship his gods anyway. But all of a sudden, this becomes about a bigger. They thought. I, I won't rat him out because I'm sure you may know. But the physician that called me here from 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 Loma Linda pointed pointed out to me. I had not considered this that no doubt Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have been part of a council, part of. The conversations, how to unify. They might have even at some point been part of the conversation or the planning for this event. But they came to understand that this was more than a political move, that this was a statement against the God of heaven. That's, of course, this whole conflict between the two gods is repeated in verse, well, it's in verse 12, verse 14, verse 18, verse 28. There is something more than just King Nebuchadnezzar and a Babylonian empire. It's a conflict between two gods. This, of course, bears out the, the great controversy theme. This isn't about political leader. It's not about church leaders. 
There is something behind the scenes working itself out here. Number three, it has to do with life itself. Verse six, again, whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the into this burning furnace. That's repeated in 11, verse 11, verse 15, and verse 20. This is about life itself. You will be destroyed. Ironically, the Chaldeans worship fire. And so the miracle that is about to happen is doubly appropriate. Three things, then three aspects. One, is it, it's about worship. Two, is it's a conflict between two gods, not two parties, not two perspectives on this planet, not, not preferences. It's about two gods. It's a conflict between the God of heaven and the, the self-proclaimed prince of this planet. And number three, it is it is life itself. It's not just what is apparent, the facade. This brings us to the question of what will you do with this? These are repeated. Now, just you, you can't get any more powerful than this. The most, the most powerful tool of communication in any language is story. God takes a story and then he uses the tool of repetition. Repetition combined with story is, is, is probably, arguably, you may say, the most powerful form of communication. And God uses it. Story plus repetition. Why? Because this is the most critical imperative information. Why is worship such a big deal? Ralph Emerson, of course, reminds us that a person will worship something. We will worship something. I have no doubt about that, he says. We may think our tribute is paid in secret in the dark recesses of our hearts, but it will come out. Therefore, it behooves us to be careful what we worship. For we are worshiping what we are worshiping, we are becoming. And that's why worship is so important. It's not just about ideas of days or styles or preferences, but what we worship we become. The final generation will not allow any distraction, anything else to cloud their worship because they are bent on becoming like Jesus. That's the testimony of the final generation. So what happens to that little company on the plain of Dura? The three Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the ones who stay standing, focused. What happens to them? Three things are part of their response, and three things will be part of the response of the final generation. Number one, they act for the sake of faithfulness. Let it be that whatever happens, happens. But we will be faithful. We'll take our job, okay. our life, okay. 
They act for faithful for the sake of faithfulness. Number two, they're unbent by the crowd. And number three, they don't save themselves. Let me take you through this. Daniel chapter 3, verse 17. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. They knew it was more than just an image. They knew it was more than, a, than an image. We will not serve your gods or the image. But it was clear in the minds of these three Hebrews that this was not just a political move to unify the nation and bring everybody to working back together for the good of humanity. They knew it was clear that there was another agenda. That this was pitting their God of heaven against other gods. And so they stood for faithfulness. They didn't make a deal. The decision was not delayed. They didn't need to pray about it. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying about the decision. But, beloved, sometimes we walk out of hearing God's word and we know in our heart of hearts that he's speaking to us. He's asking for a decision and he's asking for us to stand faithful. And we've delayed. Let me think about it. Let me count the cost. Let me assess my options. Buying time. They are faithful for the sake of faithfulness. They do what is right. And they leave the consequences to God. Amen. Number, of course, then, that's, that's the final generation testimony. Remember what Revelation 12 says of the final generation? They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury. He knows he has a short time. The king was enraged. It says his countenance became contorted. Why, King Nebuchadnezzar? You've never been like this before. King Nebuchadnezzar demonstrates to the final generation what will happen, what Satan will change to be. Oh, you think it's bad now? No, when Satan's counting his days and not months or years, he will become contorted. He will become furious. He will become angrier than we have ever seen him before. And that's why it's imperative that the final generation take this serious. It's going to get worse. Satan will be angrier before he meets his final end. Number two, they, they are unbent by the crowd. Imagine the pressure. Imagine the pressure. You have the, the satraps, the, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the judges, the magistrates. All the other officials of the providences, and they are all assembled. Everybody that's anybody is there. 
It's a big deal. It's a lot of pressure. I can't imagine that moment. Why not just, just write it off for the good of, of politics? They were involved in politics. Why not just, just do something? The argument could, could so easily be made that, that there was so much more good to do if they would just go along with it for now. And then they, they could get back into their offices and they could continue the Bible studies that no doubt they were sharing and the, and the prayer meetings that they were having. I told you about a book the other night, Douglas Murray, The Madness of the Crowds. Somebody said, hey, listen, hey, pick a couple of books out. So I just went through a list. I landed on my desk. He writes about the current culture. We are going through a great crowd derangement, he calls it. In public and private, both online and off, people are behaving in ways that are increasingly irrational, feverish, and herd-like. It's one line. Night. And bring, bring corporations in a moment to, to public apologies. And I'm not defending corporations that they ought not to be issuing public apologies. But there's something about the crowd. It's powerful. Sometimes for good, no doubt. But sometimes acting in increasingly irrational, feverish, herd like, deranged. It's easy to be caught up. You have to know where you stand. Where God is asking you to stand, you must know that apart from the crowd. Not at all. Indicating that you shouldn't be part of, of, of asking or insisting on justice or what is right. But we have to know what is right apart from the crowd. Or we will be swept by the crowd, both for good and for bad. They knew, they knew apart from the crowd what was right. And so when it came time to make the stand between God and the, the false gods, they were undistracted by the crowd. If you don't know what's right apart from the crowd, you will go wrong with the crowd. Number three, they don't save themselves. This is... Jesus reminds us of this. Seek first the kingdom of heaven, and then all of those things that you're worried about will be provided for you. Your housing, your clothes, your food. I'll take care of that part. Well, what part are we supposed to be concerned with? You're supposed to be about seeking the kingdom. Daniel chapter 3 and verse 21. Jumping ahead to verse 27, bridging the two. So these men, Wearing their robes and trousers and turbans and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. Verse 27. Five words. Their robes were not scorched. It's a supernatural. They were thrown in with everything. Why did it tell us all of these things? Their trousers, their turbans. 
They were going to lose it all. But their robes were not scorched. I know several of you have shared. But this brings us back to the question. How does the end time play out for you? How does the final generation play out for you? How does living for Jesus play out for you in the, in the weeks and the hours and the days and the years before he comes? How does that look for you? And for some of us, at least in my community of faith, it looks a little but like providing for ourselves. The three worthies. They did not remove themselves. And when it came to that moment, that intense moment when their life was on the line, they gave that part to God. Their part was to be faithful to the kingdom. God's part was to take their life or to protect it. You see, it's a little bit like giving a, a bicycle. If you were to give me a bicycle, well, first I'd be grateful. I have a bicycle. But if you were to give me a bicycle as a gift, it's mine. It's, it, it, maybe it's, it's yellow. It's a yellow bicycle. I take that back to Denver, Colorado. Well, I paint it blue. You find out about it and you call me up. You tell me how I messed up the perfectly good bicycle. You're coming to get it. Take it back. Well, apparently, whose bicycle was it all along? Must have been yours. It was never mine. But we do this with our lives with God. Here, I'll give you my life, God. Oh, but I also know it, it, it doesn't need to go that way. Let me take it back. Let me protect it. I need to, to care for, for myself. I need to. You don't find that in the apocalyptic writings. You don't find that in prophecy. You find a, a generation who lays it all on the line. They are about the faithfulness and the kingdom of Jesus. And his business is to protect or to provide for their lives. So what am I saying? Just telling you what happened in Daniel chapter 3. And I believe with all of my heart that Daniel chapter 1, Daniel chapter 3, and as we'll find out, even a little bit later with Daniel and his journey in the lion's den, which is a crazy story. In each one of these cases, what I believe is our prophecies of the final generation, their burden was to be faithful and to represent Jesus correctly, not to save their own high. Desmond Ford, now if you weren't here the other night, I qualify why I'm using Desmond Ford. Desmond Ford wrote this commentary on Daniel before he had his parting.
before he demonstrated a difference in theology. But I don't agree with, but I believe was destructive. But Daniel, but his commentary on the book of Daniel is one of the best. He writes this line that just burned itself into my mind when I read it. I, I, I wrote it and rewrote it. The three men, the three men who would not bend, budge, or burn have never been forgotten by mankind. They wouldn't bend, budge, or burn. I believe they wouldn't burn because they didn't bend or budge. Ellen White, great controversy, writes this line, it is often the case that trouble is greater in anticipation than in reality. Oh, for you worry words out there, that's always the case. Always a bigger problem than it really is. In all, it is often the case that trouble is greater in anticipation than in reality, but this is not true of the crisis before us. But does she say that to warn us to, to protect ourselves? Not at all. Not at all in the context. Is this meant? It's meant to say it's such a crisis that you will not be able to protect yourself. It's not ever about you protecting yourself. You be faithful to God. Let him do the God thing and protect you from what you can't protect yourself. It's often the case. That the trouble is greater in anticipation than in reality, but this is not true of the crisis that is before us. There is a time coming, not to cause us to fear. It will be the darker the night, the brighter our testimonies will be. Those three worthies were able to testify to the true God because they were amongst the men at the right time when the rest of the world bowed down. They were in the midst of those men and they stood tall. And because of that, we have their testimony. In the closing periods of earth's history, the Lord will work mightily on the, in behalf of those who stand steadfastly for the right. Did you hear that, beloved? He will do the work. The Lord will work mightily. It goes back uh, to, this, to this comparison. I keep thinking through that. We, we talked about on Sabbath. Which would you rather have when you get to heaven and you talk to, to John the Revelator? Boiled in oil. Or Peter crucified upside down. And they both asked. Tell us about the final generation. Tell us how you stood for the right. Tell us that story over and over and over. Option A. It was, it was tough. But I canned a bunch of applesauce. <laughs> now I use applesauce. Because my favorite thing. My wife went to my heart every fall. By canning applesauce. And we dry apples on the dehydrator and bananas. And that's just about my, my favorite activity. I just, I love canned applesauce. But do you get what we're going for? The call of the final generation is not to protect themselves, but to stand for the right. And the darker the night, the colder the world is around them. When they stand, when that final generation stands and God is able to protect them in the closing periods of earth's history, the Lord will work mightily in behalf of those who stand steadfastly for the right. In the midst of the time of trouble, trouble such as has not been since there was a nation, his chosen ones will stand unmoved 
Satan with all his host of evil cannot destroy the weakest of God's saints. It's not about your strength or my strength. That's what makes us fear for this time. Can I do it? Will I be able to do it? It has nothing to do with you. And until we get that through our thick skulls, this thing will appear like a dark, forbidding cloud in front of us. It's not about us. Our role in this is only to remain faithful to God and let him do the rest. Angels that excel in strength will protect them. And in their behalf, Jehovah will reveal himself as the God of gods, able to save the uttermost, those who put their trust in him. That's the testimony of the final generation. Of course, you know the story. You've heard the story of the emperor, Sinion, Vicinius, his decree of persecution of the Christians. He threatened death those who would renounce his faith. In 320, those 40 young Christian Roman soldiers who refused to sacrifice to the idols tried before the tribunal. They stood firm and put them into prison. As they stood firm and they remained faithful, the governor ordered that they be stripped and left to die standing on that frozen lake. Now that's where history gets a little different some they were beside the lake some on the lake some beside the creek some but but all agreed that they were being punished for their faithfulness they stood firm that's all that god asks to consider are you faithful in all that you do are you standing for the right are you daring to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when the rest of the world goes down? You haven't, you've already determined what is right and wrong. You already know because the saturation of God's word in your heart, in your mind, you stand. When the crowd bends, because of your testimony, there. God was glorified, right? Even the king, Nebuchadnezzar. What? He sees in their story a fourth person, one like the son of God. I believe Daniel chapter 3 is a prophetic narrative, is a prophecy of how, how God will set up his kingdom. He'll set it up. With young and old, men and women, who stand for the right, no matter what, for the sake of faithfulness, they stand. They are too unbent by the crowd. And number three, their priority, their focus, their interest is not in saving themselves, but in honoring God. And could it be that sometimes in losing ourselves, we could give God the most glory? Father in heaven, Daniel chapter 3, a testimony, a prophecy of what a generation will be like, representing to the world. When the world is distracted by political turmoil, unrest, and there seems to be this, this invitation. So let's solve our political problem. Let's solve our drama. 
by coming together, by setting up an image. Oh, Father, could it be in those moments that we would give a testimony far beyond what we could imagine possible? Oh, Lord Jesus, we worry a lot about ourselves. So tonight, I just, I wonder if in the quietness of our own hearts, some of us need to lay ourselves on the altar and to surrender our self-preservation, our own preferences, our own comfortable concerns, and be consumed, be transformed, to be consumed with, with how we could glorify you, how we could honor you, how even in difficult times or pain or suffering or, or tribulation, we could honor and glorify you, how in a fiery furnace we could give you the honor so speak to our hearts with an arrow or a gentle tap to our shoulder. We want to be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in 2021. In the name of Jesus, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.